to who we are. The church does not grow just because we open the doors. The, the plan of growth in the word is to evangelize and to make disciples. Amen. And when the church does that, we'll see what we see here today. Amen. Somebody say amen. 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 So if you're not a part of a life group, find a life group that's in your area, either in Newcastle, Bear, Newark area, or uh, Middletown, uh, anything that's north of Bear or south of Bear. And in our Wilmington group, we also have a millennial uh, group that meets uh, bi-monthly. I believe they're still meeting bi-monthly. Join a group. That's how we become family. That's how we keep up with you. That's how we can minister to you when you have needs, and you can as well minister to your sisters and brothers. In verse 1 of Psalm 23, we read, The Lord, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Let us pray. Father God, in the mighty name of Jesus, we are grateful that you are here today. And Lord, I pray that you would remove any obstacle that would distract us from you. Father, I pray that we would recognize that worship starts from the heart, not from the head. God, that we need to move our intellect out of the way so that the Holy Spirit will inform our unsanctified intellect so that we can worship you in spirit and in truth. Worship is simply a response to your revelation, to your word. And because your word is true, the Holy Spirit who indwells us will always respond with amen. And so, God, have your way today. Talk to us as only you can. In the mighty name of Jesus, the church said amen. 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 You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. God is at work. God is at work. Uh, after struggling for many nights, it's good to see Eric looking good in the house. God bless you, young man. Uh, the king could not sleep. No matter what he did to alleviate his insomnia, it only got worse as days passed. And finally, he decided to call his therapist, back then was counseling. And he said to his group of counselors, I cannot sleep. I have everything that anyone could ever want. I lack for nothing, but I'm miserable. Can you explain why someone who has all that I have is robbed nightly of a peaceful sleep. After listening, the therapist took notes and they agreed to talk with the king on the next day to give them his, their diagnoses and prognosis and prescription. So the next day they meet with the king and they said, King, we believe we understand what your issue is. You are struggling with a condition called discouragement, discontentment or dissatisfaction, you're, you're struggling with the lack of content. You're not happy. 
I could have told you that. I said, well, here's what I want you to do. The counselor that is able to find the most contented person in my kingdom and bring to me their shirt, the shirt that they're wearing, I will give you up to half of my kingdom value. So the counselors went and they searched, and it actually took three years before one of the counselors came and happily said to the king, oh, great king, we have finally found an answer that you have uh, commissioned us to locate the most contented man in your kingdom, and we have found him. The king was just overjoyed, and he said, I'm finally going to have some rest. And he said, bring me his shirt immediately. And the counselor responded, he doesn't own a shirt. He does not own a shirt. Like this emperor, many of us have been seeking happiness. We try to find it in all types of places and different types of relationships. We think that, well, if I get married, then I'll be happy. If I have a couple children, I'll definitely, maybe we'll think about that, maybe I'll be content. If I get the job that I've been interviewing for, make more money. If I get that title that I have been studying to get, I get that degree behind my name, then I will be content. I will be satisfied. I will finally be happy only to discover that contentment most often continues to be just beyond our reach. In Psalm 23, David shares the secret of true satisfaction, the truth of how to be content. He essentially says in Psalm 23 that I have the cure for your discontentment, and I can say without any question or doubt that, the, that this contentment, the, 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 uh, the prescription for it, it will bring satisfaction Guaranteed. Now, in order to fully understand Psalm 23, it's a very familiar passage. I'll, I use it almost every single day in the hospice context when I'm praying for people and they're dying, they're fearful. This psalm is known even by people who are not Christians. I, I can remember times when I've been on my knees and praying with people as they're dying in their comatose state and in my get distracted, I get a word wrong, and the person will stop dying and correct you to get Psalm 23 right. I ain't dying with the psalm being wrong. Psalm 23 is often used at funeral service, homegoing services. It's the most beloved psalm in the entire scripture. But it's a part of a three-volume set of songs, and the word psalm simply means songs, and it includes Psalm 22, 23, and 24. It's a trilogy, and what we find in Psalm 22 is the Lord being described as, it's called the shepherd psalm. The three, the trilogy, it's called the shepherd psalm. In Psalm 22, 
God is the good shepherd. He is the great shepherd in Psalm 23. And he is the chief shepherd in Psalm 24. It's good to know in times of stress and chaos as we are living in today, where you can find satisfaction, where you can find genuine contentment. While the Lord offers to us satisfaction guaranteed, we must individually access it. You got to take it off the shelf. You've got to apply it as the Lord makes it available. Now, we all know that from the story of David that David himself was a shepherd of sheep. He was actually shepherding sheep in the field when his father called him reluctantly as the prophet Samuel will had been directed by God to choose Israel's second king to succeed, King Saul. And so David was brought off the field, and he was the eighth of eight, uh, the, the youngest of eight sons of Jesse, and so he was a shepherd of sheep. And so this psalm mirrors in a lot of ways the experience that David had as a shepherd shepherding natural sheep. And one of the things that, or some of the things that we can learn from David's experience in just uh, 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 the uh, agrarian uh, society, the world, is there's some things that are characteristic of sheep. I want to give you four quick things about the nature and needs of sheep. First of all, sheep are dumb. They dumb. Uh, if they were, if, 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 if you watch sheep, if one sheep started to walk in a circle, all the other sheep would walk in a circle, and they would continue to walk in a circle for no apparent reason other than the blind leading the blind. So sheep don't know how to make good decisions. They need a shepherd. God calls his church sheep. He puts over the sheep a shepherd, a pastor. And the pastor is supposed to be, who, who is also in, the pastor should have a pastor so that he too uh, is, it recognizes that he's a sheep as well. But it is, it's his responsibility to, give the, to, to deal with the sheep. So sheep are dumb. Now, that's not about your intellect, so don't take it personally. <laughs> sheep are also dirty. They don't smell good. You know, I had to look that up. Why do sheep stink? We used to drive by 17th and Washington in South Philadelphia. Oh, my God. Oh, Lord. Oh, that was an experience. That was a place where they sheared and slaughtered sheep. That was unsanctified stink. <laughs> Even when I think about it, it's, 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 it I, just, I can still smell it. So sheep are dirty like we are. The dirt that we have is not the result. The sheep could smell bad because of the, what happens when they eat the grass. When the grass uh, is, is, is digested, it goes through their body, and it turns into, I mean, really ungodly <laughs> ungodly stink, but the stink that we have is called sin. 
And just like natural sheep, we who are the spiritual sheep of God, we need cleansing. We don't have the capacity to do it ourselves. We actually need to be clean. Sheep are also dependent. They need help. They need help. The fourth thing about sheep is sheep are directional lists. They would stay in the same place and die without a shepherd. They would not know how to feed themselves. They would not know how to feed themselves. And so what we discover in the psalm is that David, the shepherd, recognized the need of sheep. And so he starts with the way that we personally can benefit as dumb, dirty, directionalists. What's the other one? Dependent. Oh, God, God, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. We need a shepherd. So in order for us to have a shepherd, you must know the shepherd personally. Notice how the psalmist started. He said, the Lord is my shepherd. He is my, my shepherd. And it's a, it's a personal decision. It's interesting that when you look at the psalm, it's, if you notice that the, the, the word Lord is in upper caps, and so it refers to Yahweh or Jehovah or, or God the Father. And that name has reference to his covenant relationship with his people. He is the shepherd who desires to have intimate relation with his children, his sheep. He wants to have a close relationship with us. We discover in John chapter 10 that Jesus makes reference to himself as the good shepherd. So what the Lord Yahweh is to the Old Testament saying, Jesus is to us in the New Testament. He is the good shepherd. And so you must know the shepherd personally. It's personal. Say it's personal. You must trust the shepherd before you can truly say that he's your shepherd. In John chapter 10, verse 9, Jesus speaking, referring to himself as the good shepherd. He said, I am the gate, and whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and out and find pastors. In order to call the Lord your shepherd so that you have your needs met, you have to have a personal relationship with him. He said, I am the gate. And through me, the sheep enter, and the result of them making a decision to enter that gate is that they are saved. You are saved from the power and the penalty and the guilt of sin. And so you need to be saved. You need to be born a second time. You need to experience what Jesus said to Nicodemus. He said, marvel not, I say to you, religious leader with credentials and teaching and in a position of leadership. You are a part of the Sanhedrin. He said, marvel not that I say unto you, except you be born a second time, born from above, born from the spirit. You cannot see. You cannot comprehend. You will never enter into. And so the first step in order to receive this guaranteed satisfaction, you need to have a personal relationship. He will become your shepherd as you enter into the gate called salvation. You, must ex- you, mu- you are accepted into God's eternal family 
when you make a decision to receive Jesus. The Bible says in John chapter 1, verse 12, but as many as received him, as many as welcomed Jesus, to them God gives the right to become the sons and the daughters of God. And so I am accepted and become a part of the sheepfold when I make a decision that I want Christ to forgive me of my sin. Jesus put it this way. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come unto the Father except by me. And so Jesus, the gate is the one who is the, the bridge to God. And when we trust him, God welcomes us into his eternal family. Somebody say amen. He welcomes us into his eternal family. So it's personal. It's also provable. When the Lord is your shepherd, there's going to be evidence. Sheep don't walk like goats. They don't act like wolves. If you, if you look in the snow and see the tracks of a wolf that's supposed to be a sheep, you know something's perpetrating. Amen. There will be evidence. There will be proof. There will be proof when we are connected to the shepherd. Uh, Jesus puts it this way in John chapter uh, 10, verse 27 through 30. He says, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them. And they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them or pluck them out of my hand. My Father who, who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them, pluck them, take their salvation from them out of my Father's hands. I and my Father are one. It's provable when, when God is your shepherd, when Jesus, the good shepherd, has a personal relationship with you, there will be evidence. The Bible says you will know them by their fruit. Here's the fruit. He said, my sheep hear my voice. They hear me. When, when, when you saved, even when you disagree, even when you don't fully understand the Spirit, the Bible says, the ministry of the Holy Spirit is that he convicts us and he uses the scriptures that is sharper than any two-edged sword that pierces between the dividing asunder of the soul and the spirit and the joint of marrow and even discerns the very intents of our heart. What happens when you're saved, you will hear the voice of God. Jesus said, my sheep. So when the word is being shared, you don't feel nothing. When the word is being shared, you think, oh, this is just the words of a man. And nothing is stirred in your heart because the Bible says all scripture is what? Given by inspiration of God. Comes from the very mouth of God and it is profitable. The Bible says for doctrine and reproof and correction and instruction and righteousness that the man and the woman of God will be thoroughly furnished. The word is inspired. It's alive, y'all. It's alive. Jeremiah said that the word is like fire. Shut up in my bones. I said I was going to quit, but the word, the word. And so the sheep hear the shepherd's voice. It's the same thing with the under-shepherd. I can't pastor everybody's church, but I can pastor this one because the sheep will hear the shepherd's voice. Here's another thing. The sheep will avoid, uh, uh, obey the shepherd's voice. Jesus said, they, they hear me, they hear my voice, and they will follow me. You're talking to people, and you share what the word clearly says. 
And they say, ah, I hear what you're saying. It sounds kind of convincing. I might have said it myself. But I'm one of those folk in the church who's simply a hearer of a word, but I don't do the word. But the scripture says, here's the proof that the shepherd who is Jesus, who opened up the gate for you to come in through by faith, he said, my sheep hear and they obey. Is there evidence in your life that you are walking in obedience to the good shepherd? It ought to impact your marriage. Thank you, brother. Y'all, I was all messed up last Sunday. Nobody hooked me up. Oh, God. I turned the video off. <laughs> Elder Ward says, you'll be all right. Yeah. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Glad folks love me like that. Are you obedient to the word? Do you come under conviction? Well, if I got to go to church and feel guilty, I might as well stay home and feel guilty. The word convicts you. When you say you will have a hunger and a thirst for righteousness, that's how you know you say it. You won't be perfect. You won't have days where you don't struggle and fail, but you will feel bad when you fail. My sheep hear my voice. You, they also, they also, he says, you, we, your sheep will believe his unconditional promises. And that is, he says, they shall never perish. That's a promise. That's unconditional. You cannot, if you genuinely know Christ in the pardon of your sin, you will never lose your salvation. That's a promise. That's doctrinal, that's doctrinal truth. He said, no one can take you away out of my father's head if you're genuinely saved. Don't be talking, I used to be saved. Either you were or you weren't. No one. So his sheep accept the truth, the doctrinal truth, that your salvation is eternally secure. The Bible says that we are sealed by the Holy Spirit until the day of Christ. When is that? When he comes back to take us to heaven? Here's another thing that is proof that will evidence that you have a relationship with the shepherd. You will believe in his deity. He says, I and my father are one. I and my father are one. How is Jesus and God the same when God is spirit and they that worship him must worship in spirit truth? The Bible tells us that Jesus existed before taking or coming in what we call the incarnation, taking on human form. He existed as God in, in, in spirit. Throughout eternity, when did eternity start? It never had a start, and it never has an end. That's why we call it eternity. <laughs> That's why they killed Jesus. He said he's equal with God. He's a blasphemer. They asked Jesus, are you a Messiah? He says, yes, I am. And they said, what more do we need to hear? And they, they, had, they, they, they condemned Christ and had him nailed to a cross. Christians don't believe that Jesus is simply a man. We believe that he is the God-man. That's why the Bible says we confess our sins and believe in our heart that God has raised, has raised, that Jesus is his, that Jesus is curious, that he's Lord, that he is the Adonai of the Old Testament, and that he died for our sins. So he's both man and God, existing in one perfect, sinless being. Some of you remember the story of Moses when they finally, Pharaoh, after nine attempts to get the children of Israel to be released from Israel, and I ain't letting them go. I'm Pharaoh. I'm Pharaoh. Who God? What guy? They had all kinds of 
uh, blood in the water, uh, gnats and fires and storms, and he's still defying it. And so the last plague was the death of the firstborn. And so Moses went to the, goes to the nation of Israel, or the children, he goes to the children of Israel, and he says, this is the last plague. Pharaoh is going to let us go. But in order for you to escape the judgment, you need to kill a lamb without spot or blemish, and you need to take the blood of that lamb and put it over the doorposts of your house. He preached that. And he said, when, when the angel, the death angel, sees the blood, it will pass over your house. Now, if all the people had simply heard what Moses said about the blood, but they never applied it to the post of their home, when the death angel came, even though they were the nation of Israel, God's chosen people, the death angel would have stopped by there too because wherever he saw the blood, death had to pass. The same thing is true. The Lord can be our shepherd. We know that intellectually. But if you don't apply the truth of what Christ has already done by accepting him by faith, the death angel, the Bible says that, there is, that, the, that, that the wrath of God is still abiding over everyone who has not placed their trust in Christ. When I trust them, the death angel has to pass by. There is therefore no more condemnation. I will never stand before God to determine if I go to heaven or hell because of the blood of Jesus. It's personal, but it's also provable. You must, you must personally invite the Lord into your life in order to have satisfaction guaranteed. You must also trust the shepherd completely. He said, I shall not want. It literally means that I will never go lacking. I will never be wanting for what I really need. Let me add that. I will never be in want for what I really need. And the interesting thing is this, that the verb shall is in the future tense. I shall never. And what David was saying is, I've been young, now I'm old, but I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread on the basis of God's past faithfulness. I am confident, I can totally trust him that I will never be lacking. I will never be lacking. What does it mean to trust in the Lord as your shepherd completely on a daily basis? It means that you have confidence that all is good. All is good. Romans chapter 8 verse 28 says what? For we are confident. We know that all, how many things? All things work together for the good of them who love him and are called according to God is orchestrating every single detail in our life. He's not just passively sitting and waiting for things to happen. He's the Bible says he causes all things to work together. He's working it out. Somebody say he's working it out. He's working it out. He's working it out for your good and for his glory. It's all good. I can have confidence that he's working it out. You can also claim to have full confidence in the Lord and to trust in the Lord means that you claim and act on the promise in the present as if faith has already become sight. It's, it, you don't see it, but God said it, and therefore it's, it is. So faith, he says, we walk by faith, not by sight. But when God said it, I see what he said, even though it's not in, in front of me. 
The Bible says that faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. For it is impossible to please God, for he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he's what? A rewarder of them who diligently seek him. And so what, when, when I'm trusting God daily, that means that I'm acting as if it's already done. Because if God said it in his mind, it's complete. We just haven't seen the manifestation of it. What has God promised you? What has he said in his word that is true? Now, make sure he promised it because we claim the stuff God never promised. He will never cash a check he didn't write. But if he promised it, we can have this confidence that whatever God said according to his will, it's already done. It's already done. Caleb and Joshua, unlike the other ten spies, they refused to go, we got giants in the land and we can't do it. Right, they're going, we're going to Middletown. They're going to be, they got three phases in the project. And it's going to cost a lot of money. But God has already given us the property. It's ours. It's already done. So Caleb and Joshua said, it's ours. Let's go possess it. Let's go possess it. Let's go take what is ours. That's what faith said. It's already mine. He didn't tell you to take somebody else's husband because they don't belong to you. I'm talking about something that God has promised you that is confirmed in his word. Trusting in the Lord means that you learn how to be content in whatever state he allows you to be in. Paul said, I can do, he says, I can do all things through Christ. I've learned to be abased. I've learned to be clothed. I've learned to be naked. Whatever state that God allows, I have learned that my, the joy of my salvation is in him. My contentment is in him. Paul understood. Now, why should we trust the shepherd completely? Why should we? I'm glad you asked. He said, he maketh me to lie down in green pastures. That means he meets our physical needs. The green pastures is where they ate. <laughs> it's where they slept. It's where they, you know, it's like for us, it's our, the, the shelters, the clothing, it's the food, it's what Jesus said. If you seek first the kingdom of God and his rights, all of these food, clothing, and shelter, all your needs will be met. So the reason I can trust him is because he meets my physical needs. He meets my physical He leads me beside the green pastures. Paul adds, he said, but my God shall supply all of our needs. The problem we want is we, we struggling with our wants. You're talking about, what am I going to eat tomorrow? You got food coming out the side of your mouth. You can't even, you kind of got to put your foot on the door to close the refrigerator. I wonder how I'm going to get groceries tomorrow. My God shall supply all of your needs. And so the reason I can trust him is because he leads me beside the green, the fertile crop. He, he leads me where I can get what I need. Am I, you got a witness in here. Does he meet your physical needs? Does he meet your physical needs? That even includes your, your health. You got a portion of health and strength. Sometimes you'd be shocked. You'd be, you ask some of these folks, how old are you? You'd be amazed. You that old? God keeps his own. Somebody say amen. I know I look 25. If you don't believe that, you should see me when I was 25. <laughs> he meets our physical need. When you're crying, he'll wipe your tears. When the hair is coming out that you're trying to save with those weeds, God said, the Bible said, he had numbered every hair on our head. 
There's not a tear that we shed that he has not captured in his bottle. He is mindful of us. God cares about you. He cares about me. He meets our physical need. Somebody say amen. He meets, he makes me to lie down. And here's the interesting thing. He makes us lie down. Sometimes we just don't slow down. We just going to keep running. We're going to be on automatic power. We're going to be the energizer button. God has a way of saying, you're going to lay down for a while. Then we got to visit you in the hospital. God shut us down for two years with COVID. He makes us lie down. A lot of babies were made during those two years. He makes us lie down. A lot of divorces during that time. He makes us lie down. He meets my physical needs. He meets them through people. We waiting for God. Okay, God, you're going to feed me today. The Bible says that they had all things in common in Acts chapter 2. All the believers together had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. He meets our physical need. If somebody has a need in the church, I always believe you should bring something extra. I don't have any money today, so don't ask me for anything. <laughs> but we ought to have a little extra on the side for the overflow, just in case God says to you, well, I know he'll say to somebody, no, to you. <laughs> How does the love of God reside in your heart when you see somebody who's in need and you don't help them? You meet them through physical need. Through employment. Did God give you a job today? Do you need a job? I believe God will give you a job. He makes our jobs. Through health and strength, a Psalm chapter, uh, Psalm 103 says, Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not any of his benefits, who forgives us all of our sins and what? He heals our diseases. He heals our diseases. He, he, he blesses us through our enemies. The Bible says, a good person leaves, some, leaves an inheritance for his children's children, but, but a sinner's wealth is stored up for the righteous. God will give you what belongs to your enemy without you plotting. God will bless you through miracles. Elijah, the prophet, the preach, preacher, God fed him through ravens, a raven catering service for two years. They brought the brother food. God will meet our needs. He also, not only does he meet our physical needs, he meets our emotional needs. He leads us beside the green or the quiet waters, the still waters. This doesn't mean that storms won't come. But when the storms come, the Bible says, when the devil, when the enemy comes in like a flood, God will raise up a standard against him. He said, I will keep your mind in perfect peace if you keep your mind stayed on me because you trust in me. So he meets my emotionally. He leaves me not be. He know I can't handle all that noise. He know I can't handle all that. that he, he measures out my temptation and my test. He said, there's no temptation that has taken you, but such that is common to man. He is faithful, will never allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able to bear. But with every temptation, the Bible says he will make a way of escape. He measures your test. The ship that Jesus is on can never sink. Yeah, there's a storm. Yeah, the winds are blowing. Yeah, it seems like we're going down for the last time. But if Jesus is on board, you will not go under. You will not be destroyed. You will be victorious. He meets our emotional needs. Somebody say amen. You believe that he meets your emotional needs? 
Not only does he meet my physical needs by leading us beside the green pastures and the quiet waters emotionally, but he meets our spiritual needs. The Bible said he restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name. He restores my soul. He does that through comfort and conviction and chastisement. You know what that verse, when it talks about restoring our soul, the soul here represents the totality of our being. It's all that we are. It says what God does for us, he meets your deepest need. He never created another human being or something other than himself to meet you at your deepest level of need. He restores my soul. He refreshes my soul. He gives me a reason to start again. Not only did he save my soul, but he, the Bible says, they that wait on the Lord shall have renewed strength. You will run and not be weary. You shall walk and not faint. The Lord will restore. He meets my, my spiritual need. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Have you cried out to him in the midnight hour? Has your heart been broken and you didn't know how you were going to bounce back? And the Lord touched you with his compassion. You know he heard you because he wiped your tears and he confirmed through his word that you were not forgotten or forsaken. He meets our spiritual needs. He restores my soul. I'm so glad about it. He is the love of my soul, y'all. Oh, he understands when I don't understand. He, the Bible says, in fact, the Bible says, when we don't know what to pray, the Spirit himself maketh intercession for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. There's a communication that goes on between God and the Spirit so that my soul, that it's hurting, and, and, and there's no medicine. The doctor can't fix it. Medication can't fix it. My buddies and my friends can't fix it. But this one, God, the shepherd of my soul, he is the one who refreshes my soul. He reaches deep down to the depths of my being. And he tells me I can start again. He tells me I, I, I'm his own. Somebody say amen. amen. He meets my spiritual need. The question is, why does God restore our soul? Why does he meet our physical needs? Why does God meet our emotional needs? For his name's sake. <laughs> oh, you thought it was because you read your Bible. <laughs> I read four verses today, and I was up at 10 o'clock instead of uh, 11 o'clock. And, and I, I, I called somebody on the phone and saw, see how they're doing. And, and I didn't cuss nobody out in three days. And, and I'm at church today. I know that's why he restored my soul. That's why. I got, no, 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 no. Before, because of his reputation, because of his character, he restores. For his name's sake. God's reputation is at stake when we all sad and prune-faced and depressed and talking about giving up. He restores our soul for his name's sake. Let me finish with this. You must deliberately focus on the shepherd to experience satisfaction guarantee. Say deliberately focus on the shepherd. He says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will what? You ought to know this one. You don't know any other Bible verses. You ought to know this one. <laughs> this is low-hanging fruit. For you are with me, and your rod and your staff comforts me. You have prepared a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy follow me all the days of my life. And I will what? Dwell in the house forever. What we need to know to experience Focusing on the Lord during, our, during the times of storm. First of all, we need to know 
you will, this doesn't mean, it says the Lord is my shepherd. It doesn't, when it says I walk through, it doesn't mean that you will not experience valleys. We will. Say we will. You will walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Now, it's really interesting that this this imagery here, the, the valley of the shadow of death, actually depicts David's experience when his life was threatened and he did not know from one moment to the next if, if, a, if, a, if he was going to be ambushed or a sniper was going to kill him. And so the, the death was following him around just like a shadow. So at any time, he, his life could have ended. But then, then it has reference to the, the, the reality that all of us, as we come, the Bible says, is appointed unto man, what? Once to die, but after this is the judgment. When we are heading towards the end of our life, when our assignment is over on this, in this world, a shadow of death will follow you. It won't catch you, though, until, until your work is done. But when the shadow overcomes you, death that was a shadow becomes your reality, and we go, we check out of this world. So he said, even when I walk through the valley of shadow, when death is on my heels, when I can actually see the reflection, of, I can see my body wasting away, when there's no medical answer for my issue, he said, I will what? I will fear no evil. I will fear no evil. But notice he said, as I walk through the valley, he didn't say park in the valley. We're not parking in the valley. Now, how do we avoid getting overwhelmed by the shadow of death? And for us, even though death is a reality and it's a shadow, a shadow can't hurt you. We can't lose. (laughs) As a a youngster, I used to be afraid of shadows, of clouds. I'd run from the clouds. I'd come from the movie, and they'd be following me. They look like the images and the, the monsters. I'd be running like 100 miles an hour, running from clouds, and then I would look up, and there it was again. I just never, and the only thing that stopped me from running from clouds, one day there was a truck, a tar truck with a stick, that, a board that was hanging from it. I didn't see it, and it didn't move when my head hit it. And when I woke up, <laughs> I had a knot on my head that said, no more running from clouds. (laughs) Shadows can't hurt you. Clouds can't hurt you. Because we are in Christ, and Christ has victory over life and death. So how can we focus on the shepherd when we are walking through the valley so that we can have complete contentment? First of all, he says, you are with me. Focus on his presence. Focus on his presence. I'm, I'm the oldest of nine. When it was thundering and lightning, my six younger kid, when I was still at home, the six younger siblings would, would get up and run into my parents' room because they were afraid of the thundering and lightning. You know, I would go with them because I didn't want them to feel like I was, you know, I didn't want them to feel bad and no, like I didn't understand and they, didn't, yeah, that they needed support. And, uh, and when we would get there and we'd be standing at the bottom of our mother, my mother and my dad's bed. And of course, dad said, get out of here. Mom said, leave him alone, leave him alone. And as soon as we entered into their room, the fear left. Now, the thundering and the lightning continued, but the fear left because we were in the presence of our parents. I want you to understand, if you you are in the midst of your valley of shadow of death, he said, I will fear no evil because God, God, God is with me in the valley. You need to focus on his presence. You need to find where God is. Cry out to him. Turn into his word and listen and watch and what God will do. He will show up. 
He will show up. He will be your present help in the time of your trouble. Somebody know what I'm talking about. He is a present help. He's a right now help. And all I needed to do is get in that room. You just need to get in. I tell people, if you can get into the presence of the Lord, I know that cancer is eating you, eating you away, eating away at you. I know the doctor said you got 72 hours. But has God shown up for you? Have you heard his voice? Have you felt his touch? I lay hands on people and I say, Lord, I pray that through my touch they will feel your touch. Through my voice they will. And all of a sudden something will go through them. And then they're all right. Because they have experienced in the midst of their valley of the shadow. I want you, I ain't nothing special. You got that same authority. The power of the resurrected Jesus is living in you. If you can just get into his presence, the shadow won't frighten you. If you can just get into his presence, there is joy. There is joy. You don't have to wait until you get to heaven. There is joy on this side. You need to focus on his protection. He said, your rod and your staff comfort me. The Lord going to protect me in the midst of all that I'm going through. The shepherd had a rod to pound, your, pound some sense into your head if you attacked him, attacked the sheep. David said, when Saul said, I want you to wear my armor, and, and what makes you think you can kill a giant? You're only a teenager. David said, I killed a lion, and I killed a bear. Guess what David had? A shepherd's rod. And he had, some, he had a slingshot. And so God is our rod. And, it, and, our, and the, he has a rod in the staff that he protects us. That's how you got here safely today. That's how you slept well last night. That's how you, your heart kept beating and your brain working right. He protected you. The Bible says, he that keepeth Israel, the children of God. He said, I need a slumber. Focus on his provision. He says he prepares a table. Before me, in the presence of my enemies, he anoints my head with oil. What God does in the presence of my enemies, he anoints, that anointing means that he gets, puts you in a position of honor. He said, your cup overflows. That what God not only puts you in a position of honor in the presence of your enemies, he says that I give you more than, he said, he said your cup overflows. Anybody understand that God will give you more than you could even ask or think? Jesus said, I've come to give you life and to give you life more abundantly causes our cup to overflow. Here's the final thing. I'm focusing on his presence, his protection. I'm focusing on his provision, but I'm also focusing on his promise. He said, surely goodness and mercy will follow you. How long? All the days of life. Stand with me. And he says, you're going to what? Dwell in the house of the Lord. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. And where I am, you will be there also in my father's house. And so I'm focusing, as I'm in the valley of the shadow, I'm focusing on his promise. I'm focusing on his presence. I'm focusing on his protection. I'm focusing on his power. And I have satisfaction. Guaranteed. There's a man who lived in a beautiful home at the top of the hill. But someone moved into a house next to his And when he looked at the neighbor's house and compared it to his own, he was furious. He said, this house is bigger than mine. I thought my house would be the biggest and nicest. I ain't going to be on a block where my house isn't the most expensive. My house isn't the best. I want people talking about my house when they drive up in here. So he immediately called his realtor. 
said, look, I want you to put my house on the market, and I want to find a house just a little bit larger than my neighbor's. And so he called in, the, the, the realtor got all the specifications of the house, and then the, 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 uh, the, the man who owned the home was shocked that a few days later, there was a, there was a listing. And he saw a house, he just, I got to have it. When he called the realtor, he said, look, I, I see a house listed. And he said, well, what house are you talking about? So he gives all the specifications. And somebody jumped ahead of me. Well, anyway, for the rest of you, the realtor said, what, is, what house are you talking about? And he gave the house, and he said, you already live in that house. The house that you're describing is the house that you live in. We're looking for satisfaction in everything but God. If the Lord is your shepherd, he'll meet your physical needs, your emotional needs, your spiritual needs. He'll be with you in this time of turmoil and stress. Somebody say amen. amen. Father God, in the mighty name of Jesus, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you've said to us. And Father, we're trusting you to release in our lives today as we apply the truth of your word, satisfaction, guaranteed. In Jesus' name, somebody say amen. amen. amen.